This is the Navigating Adult ADHD podcast, here to help you navigate and thrive with ADHD in adulthood. I'm your host, Zena, and I was diagnosed at age 36. As with many ADHDers, I have a rebellious and non-conformist style. And that means that there will likely be swearing in the coming episode. Please be mindful of any little people. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Navigating Adult ADHD. ADHD. Oh dear. We're keeping that in. That was my fail. (laughs) We're keeping it. Today we are welcoming Yeti to the family. Yeti is our new podcast microphone. Because unfortunately, Big Mike has uh, been retired he passed away so if you listened to the last episode on hormones you will know that I had to record through my iPhone and the audio was not fabulous so hopefully with the help of a good friend we are going to have some awesome audio coming from Yeti the podcast is going to keep coming to you all now I want to start out today by sharing a fail with you all Last week we had two kids' birthdays. Now one of them, fortunately, doesn't like cake, so we didn't have to worry about making a traditional cake. However, the second one had requested a carrot cake. Now I make a mean chocolate cake and I can make a really good sugar-free chocolate cake. It's a secret, but I'll tell you. (laughs) However, I was making carrot cake and I thought, okay, I want to make a sugar-free, healthy-ish version of carrot cake for this kid's birthday with some cream cheese icing. So I looked up a recipe, got all the ingredients, set aside some time because I had a really busy week, set aside time, put it all together, baked it in the oven, checked it, it wasn't quite done, did it a bit longer, checked it, it wasn't quite done, did it a bit longer, got it out, let it cool. And I was like, mm, let's just do a taste test to make sure. <laughs> Thankfully, I tasted that shit because shit is the word of the day. It was awful. The healthy cake, carrot cake recipe I found on Pinterest either was not so great or my baking skills perhaps weren't so great. I don't know. Either way, the cake was a complete failure, which was beautiful timing because I had already started popping some notes together for an episode on failure. I tell you what, it wasn't that long ago that I would have really beat myself up for fucking up a carrot cake. I really would have. I would have been so hard on myself and stewed on it for days and, you know, mentally, you know, would have been pretty mean to myself, really. When in actual fact, this time around, and I laughed it off. (laughs) Makes a good story for you guys, right? And went down to the nearest cheesecake shop and bought a great carrot cake. (laughs) But I think that there's such a beautiful lesson in this, right? And we're going to get to that. But here is something that I hear from so many of us ADHDs. I hear, I'm a failure. Or I hear other flavors of that, like I'm a fuck up or I don't have what it takes. Now. I want us to be really clear about something. Our schooling systems are not designed for people like us. And by that I mean people who are neurodivergent, who learn, think and do differently. Our schooling was designed by neurotypical people for neurotypical people. 
So many ADHDs who experience weaknesses or challenges with reading, spelling, handwriting, calculation, attention, memory, organization, sequencing, or word retrieval, we have strengths in powerful and important ways that tend to be overlooked in school. So strengths like our ability to see things and observe things that other people don't see or observe. Our empathy, our ability to connect with other people, to allow them a safe place to be themselves without judgment. Our problem solving, our ability to think outside the box, our creativity, our willingness to not stick with the rules or the the status quo and therefore try new things, different things, be creative, think differently, see differently, hear differently. However, how we're treated in school leaves a lifelong imprint on our self-esteem. So we're often seen as the oddballs, the weird ones, the different ones, and we're ill-supported in the education system. We are left to our own devices to figure out how to cope with learning things differently. And often that leads us to believe that we're not smart or we're a failure simply because we can't memorize the maths timetables. Or for me, it was in English and I couldn't remember the difference between an apostrophe or a comma or, you know, what an adjective or a noun or a verb is. I still cannot tell you that without Googling it. So all of this to say that The education system may have failed you. You have not failed. This system has likely had a negative impact on your self-esteem and your relationship to failure. Most ADHDs I talk to are afraid to fail because of the experiences that we've had growing up And also because of our RSD, Rejection Sensitivity Dysphoria. So for anyone who doesn't know, that is many people with ADHD and other forms of neurodivergence, we can be highly sensitive to criticism and rejection, even the perceived idea that doing something might result in us being criticized or rejected can lead us to, you know, never attempt it or avoid it completely. So it all makes sense, right? I am still haunted by many memories from school that are now starting to make so much more sense to me. There was this one time, I must have been about nine years old, let's say, and the school secretary came into our classroom and we were doing work at our desks. Our teacher must have set us some work. And the school secretary came into our classroom and every, it must have been a Wednesday because every Wednesday I used to take a gold coin into school as did some other, you know, some other, the other children and we could do banking and we would have this little bank book and we would take it to her and basically it was a form of savings. 
And so we had this kind of little process that we went through and she would come around to the classroom and collect them and then she would bank them and each week the amount in our savings account would go up. So, and this was way back, I'm sure they don't even do this now or perhaps it's different. And she hadn't come in the last couple of Wednesdays, so therefore I hadn't done the banking. My mum had asked about it. So this opportunity I took when she came into the classroom and I went up to her and I said, you know, excuse me, are you still doing banking? Is that still a thing that's happening? Now, I have no idea what she said to me, but she lost her shit. I just remember that the school secretary in our classroom was yelling at me so loudly that the entire classroom went silent. I went bright red. I felt horrified and embarrassed. She went out of the classroom, slammed the door, and as she did that, all of the kids in the class started laughing, laughing at me. And to this day, I am still haunted by that memory. And there are so many ways that we could tie that back to my relationship to failure you know, to rejection sensitivity dysphoria, to being afraid of asking questions, so many things. So let's talk about it. First of all, you are not afraid of failure. What you're actually afraid of is what you will make it mean about yourself if it doesn't work out. So if you were to ask your boss for a raise and your boss was to say no what you're afraid of is what you would make it mean about yourself you might make that mean if your boss said no you might make it mean that they don't value you that you're not doing a good enough job which would result in you feeling pretty crap you might feel like a failure or feel like you've been rejected the worst that happens is never that we fail. The worst that happens is what we make it mean about ourselves. When it doesn't work out, when we hear no, when we get a rejection. What we make it mean about ourselves, that is the bit that's painful. I'll give you another example of this. So for a long time, it was more than 10 years, I was single. And I was terrified of dating. I avoided dating for a long time. I was so afraid of being rejected, of being criticized, of hearing no, of somebody saying that they didn't find me attractive or they didn't like me or, you know, I wasn't what they expected or anything like that. And I was so afraid of all of that because if I'd heard that, I would have made it mean I'm not good enough. I'm going to be like this forever. I'm unlovable. Nobody wants me. And I had a lot of issues with my weight back then. More so what I, I thought about my weight and I thought I needed to be skinny in order to date. And so I kept using that as an excuse. So I thought if somebody was to see me at the weight that I was at then, and the hilarious thing is like I was even, you know, I was larger than that when I finally decided to date because I'd, I was completely at peace with myself and my body and, you know, in a different place. However, back then, I was so afraid of making it mean that, you know, I was fat and ugly and nobody was going to love me like this and I needed to lose weight and all of these horrible things about myself. 
So that was why I avoided it. Because of all of the things that I was going to make it mean about myself if somebody rejected me or said no or didn't want a second date or no-showed. Failure is never the worst thing that happens. Quitting ahead of time, that is way more painful than failure. And I think that quitting ahead of time is worse, (laughs) so much worse, right? Because then we never get to experience the growth, the opportunity, the possibility of success, showing ourselves what we're really truly capable of, how brave and courageous we are. I want you to think about this with me. What do you want to make it mean if you fail? If you ask your boss for a raise and they say no. If you put yourself out on a dating app and somebody ghosts you. Or they don't show up for that first date. If you launch a business and nobody buys. If you host a seminar and nobody comes along. What do you want to make it mean about yourself if you fail? So after that 10 year stint of not dating and I finally decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. And I worked on myself and my mindset and got into a really good place and I decided I'm going to date. I am going to find somebody to share my life with. And the very first date I went on, I'll tell you what, I was fucking terrified. (laughs) And we were meeting to go for a walk. And because we're going for a walk, we're going for a walk after work. It was about 5.30 on a Friday night and we were meeting. And it was, you know, it was still light out until about 8.30 this time of year. And I met, I went, went to my friend's house and I met her because she lived really close to where we were meeting and I could walk. So I went to her house and she said to me, are you nervous? I was like, I'm fucking terrified. And she gave me a, a, a drink of vodka soda and it was more vodka than it was soda. And I nailed that drink real quick and it did not take the edge off at all. Anyway, I go down there to meet him and he goes in for the hug. And so I hug him. And, you know, I'd thought through everything. I'd really thought through, you know, the conversation, the walk, you know, when I meet him, what do I do? And I talked to my friend about that because I was a little apprehensive. I said to her, do I hug him or do I handshake or what do we do? And she's, she'd already said to me, just let him lead. So I felt like I'd covered all of my bases. Okay. <laughs> I'm an overthinker, as we know. Hello. So anyway, we, we start walking. And as we start walking... I'm terrified and I just want this to be over because it's my first date in over 10 years. So I'm kind of power walking. And it kind of dawns on me that I'm the one in active wear because I'm like, we're going for a walk. This is a walking track. Like I'm in active wear. So I'm in my Lululemons and my singlet with, you know, a sweatshirt tied around my waist and I've got my trainers on. And he is in his, I've just finished work, you know, slacks or dress pants, a shirt and fancy shoes. And I am power walking us, probably the fastest I have ever walked this track in my life because I want this shit to be over. And he's saying things like, oh, nice seat. Uh, Oh, look at that view. Oh, is that a seal? 
And I'm like, fucking, yeah, maybe. Like, let's get let's get this done. <laughs> we just want it to be over. So anyway, we get to the end, and what's normally a 30-minute walk, we'd be lucky if it took us 20, and he probably had blisters, this poor guy. So we get to the end, and that's the moment that I go, oh shit, I haven't thought through the ending. Do I hug him? Do I high-five him? Like, what do I do? You know, and I can't stand any more, like I'm tapped out of outside of my comfort zone. I can't stand any awkward. So this guy is like six foot five. I leap on him kind of like a tree and I lose all control of my voice as I say, so it's really nice to meet you. Okay, thank you so much. Bye. And as I climb down from the tree, I go to cross the road. Now, there was a car U-turning in front of me, which is very unfortunate timing. So to avoid the car, because I just got to get the fuck out of there, I start running. So I literally ran away from him all the way back to my friend's house. I ran right out of there. (laughs) All of that to say my first date is probably a little bit of a fuck up or a fail. But you know what? It's a really funny story. So, what did I make that mean? I made it mean I was brave. I did something really hard, really uncomfortable, and really far outside of my comfort zone. Therefore, I was courageous. I was facing my fears. I was doing something that I had avoided for a long time. And I told myself over and over and over again, I'm really fucking proud of you for doing this because it was hard and it was scary. And I had to keep reminding myself of that as my brain wanted to tell me all of the reasons why it was shit and it was terrible and I was awful and all the things. Of course, that's what brains do because my brain's like, I want to remind you we're not going to do that again, so let's focus on it. But I told myself a different story. I was so deliberate in what I made that mean and so deliberate in feeling proud of doing something that had been so terrifying to me. Something really brave. And it will either be a success or it will be a story. I tell you what, I have so many stories that people relate to and connect with me on because I've failed and been willing to keep going. Stories just like this, the dating one. Or the time I ran a training online and nobody showed up. Another really important thing here to consider is fear gets a voice but it does not get a vote. Our brains have a negativity bias. We always focus on more on the negative, on what could go wrong, on what's not working. We prioritize protection over growth. Okay, our brains are wired to protect us at all costs, even at the cost of our own goals and dreams. Our brains will always try and talk us out of hard and scary things. 
They will find sneaky ways to self-sabotage our goals because our brains always want to remain in our comfort zones. Always. So I heard this a long time ago from one of my original coaches way back. And she said, when her family has a problem, she will imagine, uh, sorry, she will gather them around the table. And what they can do is they can all go through the problem one time. So you go around the table and say there's six people at your table. You can all go through the problem once. And after every single person has gone through the problem and described it from their point of view and what they think is the real issue and, you know, they've had a chance to discuss their fears and their concerns and their doubts and all of that. Once everyone has had one opportunity to do that, you only focus on solutions. And I love that and I love that visual. Because so often our brain just wants to go back to what's not working and why and what could go wrong and all of this. And it's important that we do voice our concerns and we do look at why we're afraid. But we don't want to make our decisions solely based on fear. Let your fear have a voice. Don't try to hide from it. Okay, we don't want to hide from it and pretend like it's not there. Be honest, be real with yourself. And then make a deliberate decision about what you will do if it doesn't work out. If you don't succeed, what will you do? Decide that now. What will you make it mean about yourself if it doesn't go the way you want it to? How will you have your own back? And that topic right there is having its very own podcast episode coming soon. Because having your own back is one of the things I preach and teach and live by. Having your own back. How will you do that if you fail? Failure is an unavoidable part of life, especially if you want to have a big, full, meaningful life. It's part of it. So how will you have your own back if and when you fail? This is how we reframe our fear of failure, my friend. By setting ourselves up for success either way. I want to say that again. We get to reframe failure and what we make it mean. And in doing so, we set ourselves up for success either way. There is something that a retired Navy SEAL by the name of David Goggins said that has always stuck with me. And I'm a huge fan of his uh, audio book, the first one. Mm, I can't think of the name. I apologize. But his first audio book was really good. And he too has ADHD, although he has a very extreme approach to life. (laughs) I did gain a lot from it. So one of the things he said is the most important conversations that you will ever have are the ones that you have with yourself. You wake up with those conversations. You go to bed with those conversations. You walk around with those conversations all day. In your head. And if you're anything like me, you talk out loud too. (laughs) I love to talk out loud to myself. 
Now, those conversations that you have with yourself, as he said, they're the most important ones. You can fill yourself with hope, with creativity and inspiration and courage and self-belief, or you can fill yourself with doubt and fear and misery. You get to decide. So what's the conversation that you want to be having with yourself? I had a client session yesterday and I love this client. She's a new client I've started working with and she was just being so hard on herself and she has two little three-year-olds. And I said to her, would you speak to your three-year-olds like this? And she said, no, of course not. Oh, okay. And I said, would you let someone else speak to your three-year-olds like this? And she said, no, no way. And I said, okay. So what makes you think it's okay for someone else to speak to you this way? For you to speak to you this way? And it was pretty shocking. Like the look on her face was like, oh, fuck. Right. But that's what we're doing. We're speaking to ourselves sometimes in ways in which we would never talk to another human being, let alone somebody we love and care about. Okay, and we are with ourselves all day, every day. So we want to choose to have our own back. We want to be deliberate in what we make our failure or our fear or our doubts mean about us. Okay, we get to do that. All right, my friend, that's it. Well done, Yeti, on our first episode. We made it. Huge love, my friends. Take care. And don't forget to come and hang out with me on Instagram, on Facebook, over on the website, xenajones.com. Subscribe to this podcast. Share it with your friends. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Take care. Hey, friend. I know exactly what it's like to feel frustrated and confused with your ADHD. And to wish that you could better understand what the hell is going on in your brain. And that's exactly why I created my coaching program, Thriving with ADHD. Inside Thriving with ADHD, you learn a step-by-step process to set and finally achieve your goals. To understand yourself and your ADHD. It's where you learn to feel better and manage your emotions and create systems and processes that work for you with your ADHD brain. This is designed for you to learn how to thrive with ADHD so you can create the life that you were meant to live. Visit xenajones.com ADHD to learn more and book a consultation.